In this episode, we travel with Spider-Man, far from home, to caution Christians to be wary of deceptive and false teaching and to disciple spiritually immature believers so they won't be swayed from true doctrine. Are you just watching? Episode 94, Spider-Man, Far From Home. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we're going to talk about this new, I guess, reboot or the further continuing adventures of the MCU universe minus a few. Or I don't don't know how exactly. National Spider-Man's European adventures. Yeah. (laughs) Before we get into the discussion, though, I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. I mentioned at the end of our last episode, but I'm not sure if everybody stays all the way to the end, but I have uh, published a book called Are You Just Watching? I'm very original on my titles. <laughs> and it's a um, kind of a tie-in to our podcast and a guided journal for those of you who want to watch your movies or TV shows or whatever critically. You can read some short articles in there. It's very approachable, very easy to read. Not just saying that because I wrote it. (laughs) And well organized. Yeah. And it's basically a guided journal to help you look at your own entertainment choices critically. And I have that book on Amazon. But if you join our Patreon in the next uh, month and a half, month to two months, uh, starting August 1st, anybody who is on the $10 a month tier as a Patreon pledge, we'll get a free autographed copy of that book mailed to you. So if you are a current subscriber at that level, you will go ahead and get it automatically. But if you uh, haven't subscribed yet, this would be the time to do so to pledge that $10 a month to get the book. And I will be sending those out as soon as August 1st rolls around and I start having people to send them to. Get it now before it she's now. famous. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about the famous part, but this is only a two-month offer, so if you were ever thinking about contributing to our podcast, this would be the time to join us. And we do want to thank our monthly supporters that are currently supporting us, Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. And you can visit patreon.com slash watching to make your pledge today. Now, commercial aside... <laughs> <laughs> We do want to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home, and we don't want to spoil it, at least for a couple minutes. It's going to be really hard to talk about this movie without spoiling, but we kind of didn't do that with Endgame because it was too hard to talk about Endgame without spoiling anything. And We didn't need to worry about it in Aladdin since it was essentially a copy of the 1992 version. Right, right. But in this, we're going to at least start with trying to say a few things about the movie without spoiling anything. The first thing, of course, that we can note is that the music is by Michael Giacchino, and Mm. he is uh, one of our... Nice job. (laughs) Well, it helps to write it in the show notes how to pronounce his name. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, another one of his beautiful scores, and we uh, seem to handle a lot of his movies. It's kind of odd how much we handle his movies. Well, they're the family. They're the family-friendly ones, targeted at mainstream media through Disney. You know, it it's it makes sense, right? And we'll just play a little bit of the of the score here for you to enjoy, as we enjoyed it while watching the movie. 
so anyway, fun score. It definitely fits the the tenor of the movie. Nothing to dislike, quite obviously. Very MCU ish. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, you know I was trying to think of a way to say that it it's <laughs> the MCU. All the MCU movies share this overall flavor of mm-hmm. music. Heroic epic music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of like the same way that all the Star Wars movies had the same flavor, just different mm-hmm. takes all on the uh, the original theme. Right. Uh, it's not bad, but uh, I, I'm i ready for something to mix it up a little bit. Like uh, <laughs> Spider-Verse, you know, did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that Spider-Verse just broke all the molds, so. Yeah, that, that it did. The other thing, of course, we need to mention is the plugged-in review, which I suspect, I haven't read it myself, but I suspect that it is does contain spoilers. But if you are wanting to know whether the movie is family-friendly or not, that is the place to go. I did catch a bad word I remember hearing. I don't yep. really listen to them, but I did catch one that actually made it into the notes I took because it was part of a quote that I wrote down. And I'm not going to write a bad <laughs> word. <laughs> so definitely check out Plugged In's review, pluggedin.com. We'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, what else can we say? I think we can safely say that this is the first MCU movie that did not contain a cameo by our lovely and talented Stanley. Yeah, it's I I saw a headline. I didn't read the article, but I I saw a headline indicating that they never had planned to do a Stanley cameo in this one. Even though he might have been alive when they first planned the movie. Yeah, but it's, I'm, he's I'm sure that he was alive during shooting, but he probably wasn't doing well. Because Stanley was in the original, not the original, but he was in the the Sony Spider-Mans with mm-hmm. uh, he's been uh, in- McGuire and, and mm-hmm. uh, Garfield. So Yeah, he makes it into all of the MC, any, any Marvel property. Not just the yeah. MCU, but any Marvel property he was doing cameos in of some sort. Let's see. What else can we say? Uh, obviously, it is a sequel to Endgame. So all the things that we, happened at the end of Endgame are the precursor to this movie. And probably my only disappointment with this movie <laughs> is that I was really hoping to see some of the fallout from the what they're calling the blip. we've all been calling it the snap but they called it the blip in this movie the five-year blip i don't know how you can call something that's five years long a blip but there's no fallout it's like the world just went right back to normal i i think from the perspective of somebody who had been snapped it would have been a blip because you know one second they're there it's there was no interruption Mm -hmm. for them right it was just a blip right but i agree it's I, I feel like they downplayed the entire snap, and and we had talked about in our Avengers Endgame discussion that half of all life on Earth coming back as suddenly as it had vanished would be just as disruptive, if not more so, mm-hmm. on global economy and ecology. But here we are eight months later, and, and they're doing school trips. <laughs> Yeah, into a Europe that looks like normal, you know, yeah, like exactly. And and the really crazy thing was is that they showed in Endgame, the beginning of Endgame, they were showing like, you know, the all of the parked cars and the and just the exactly. trash and the ships just you know all parked around the the Statue of Liberty and you know just all of the just 
a world that was completely depressed and devastated and and you just you know everything's like okay and i have to say and and it's really not a disappointment with the movie itself i love this movie it's probably now become my favorite of the mcu Mm. i love this movie but i was highly disappointed that they didn't deal with that in any way it just seems like that would have been an important thing to show up i guess Maybe yeah. when they snapped everybody back. I feel like they had this opportunity to really add flavor to the world and they, they just, you know, shoved it behind them and, and said, All right, let's let's get back to normal. In fact the only thing they really show dealing it with it is that uh Aunt May is doing this, you know, thing for the displaced by the yeah. the blip thing where all these people that came back into the place where they left five years later and you know other people are living there they became homeless because of the blip but that's also kind of weird because there was half the population so there would have been a lot of places that would not have been populated i mean people wouldn't just fill all those apartments that went empty because there wouldn't be enough people to fill them yeah yeah so the whole premise of it was not dealt with well, in my opinion. I guess from an MCU creative standpoint, they would have considered that all too scholarly and, and not fit for the entertainment venue that they're trying to do. Right. Um, but it, A little it, bit too dark. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I've enjoyed some YouTube videos where they where they talked about the the impacts of both events. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, I do wish that they had uh, reflected more of the impact. Right. So, um, you have any comments that that are yeah, pre-spoiler? I do. Um, the, Tom Holland is still uh, my favorite Spider-Man of the uh, of the Peter. Par- He's my favorite Peter Parker. Yeah. It, he really just seems to nail the the high school kid. A, yeah. You know, the, well, he's the, the proper whole age feel of the high school kid. <laughs> yeah. He's. Uh, I want to say he's twenty two or twenty three now. So when he started at the proper age, yeah, he was he was probably eighteen or seventeen yeah. when he started. So, but yeah, he he's still pulling it off uh, mm-hmm. very well, and his his acting is I think he is a better actor than Garfield and uh, McGuire both were. He's carrying the emo the emotional weight of Spider Man better, I think, than they did. The I'm continually amazed by the. Marvel movies, specifically Disney movies in general, on how good they're getting at the CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I can't tell the difference anymore between what's CGI and what's not. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, I mean, there's some scenes where you're like, okay, that's clearly yeah. CGI because nobody <laughs> bends that way. <laughs> there was one scene where Spider-Man is jumping away from an explosion, and you. You see the explosion illuminate the back edge of him as he's jumping away, and it just looks so realistic in that in that split second. Uh, it really caught my eye, made me think about the CGI. <laughs> Which could be a bad thing, because it threw you out of the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, th- true, true. But I was also watching it for stuff like that, so yeah. I don't think I would have been thrown out if I had just been watching it for entertainment and not taking notes. You're going to have to go back to watch it again without... <laughs> I'm, I'm, as soon as the theater's a little more empty. <laughs> <laughs> so the writing continues to be good. 
I don't know if this is my favorite MCU movie, but it, it's definitely up there. Yeah, I I was sitting here when I was, you know, we were working on the outline yesterday. I was sitting here thinking, what would I put above it? And I just couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything that would go higher. And the, oddly enough, Iron Man 3 is one of my favorites. Hmm. But I think this one's even better than... The uh, the one with Ben Kingsley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. It, I love Ben Kingsley, but that wasn't one of my favorite Iron Men. I think Iron Man 1 still is. I liked it better than Iron Man 1, but we can discuss that yeah, at another that, time. Neither here nor yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. It's, I also wanted to comment on the, the, the writing because it, one of the things that the Spider-Man stories do very well is it, it allows you to connect not only with the good guys and the kids specifically, but also with the bad guys, with the first Spider-Man movie, um, Michael Keaton's character. They always have good backstories. Yeah, exactly. You really, yeah. you feel like they're, even even though they're doing evil stuff, you still feel like they're approachable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. they did that, I mean, even with, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, I mean, Thanos had a backstory, a reason for doing what he did. And I I really appreciate that, that their villains are just not just super bad, evil, for the sake of being evil and having a bad guy to fight. I mean, they all have backstories and motivations, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that they were, that's what makes Marvel so much better, in my opinion, than DC. Because in, in the DC, it's always um, very, they're, they're very dark movies, and, and they say on script, and they don't have any, anything that kind of pulls you out of the story and gives you a break. And yeah. in all of the MCU, and especially in this, there's little snippets in between the action. There's humor. There's romance. There's they've got it all. I mean, it's just it's a cohesive whole to a good story that's entertaining. It's I feel like that's reflective of the publishers as well. DC Comics being more serious in nature. It's I mean when when a DC comic wants to go lighthearted, the entire thing is lighthearted, not mm-hmm. just bits and pieces of it right whereas uh and especially with spider-man's combat banter mm-hmm. mcu does the light-hearted with the the serious mix much better mm-hmm. yeah but i will say as much as i like this movie i still have to say spider-verse has be- has it beat so it's it's hands interesting down for me <laughs> hands down yeah uh now that i've seen spider-man enter the spider-verse all, all spider-man movies will have to reach to attain that goal because yeah. it is it is by far superior but that we're talking about uh far from home and it is part of the mcu mm-hmm. it's a different production different studio different characters and it was very well done now i do have one more like and and two dislikes but they're kind of spoilery yeah <laughs> and with this movie you really don't want to spoil it because it's got some good twists good. in it even even when you're expecting it <laughs> yeah yeah so if if you don't want the movie spoiled this would be the time to hit pause yep i mean don't come back we want you to come back but go see the movie and then continue on with this discussion later Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all ask, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. 
Grace and peace. So one of the things that I liked was about halfway through the movie, maybe a third, a third, two thirds of the way, there's this scene where the bad guy reveals himself and uh, they do this five to 10 minute sort of montage of a heist, a reverse (laughs) heist is the way I was thinking of it. And I was watching that thinking, man, I'd watch that movie too. (laughs) Yeah. I'd I'd like to see how they made all that, even though it was all, you know, the bad guys. And all the backstory. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, funnily enough, it's the bad guy monologuing. And, you know, we make fun of that in superhero. I mean, the Incredibles (laughs) made fun of that all the time. And it is, but it moves the story along because up to this point, you thought he was the good guy. And now suddenly... He's revealed as the bad guy and we're giving and he dumps all his motivation for everything that he's done in one super long monologue to his cohorts. And and it worked. Exposition is exposition. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The way they did it, you know, with the the flashbacks and the tying it into Mm -hmm. actually uh, tying it into Iron Man. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. I thought that was another example of smart writing. Mm hmm. And it really did make a story that I I wanted to hear more about. I wish they hadn't limited it to five minutes. And, the, you know, the interesting thing about it was that Mysterio, I mean, anybody who's read the comics know mm-hmm. that Mysterio is more of a magical kind of character. And yeah. so this was the gotcha for all of the people who knew Mysterio was in the movie because they'd watched the trailers. Right. But they didn't know what kind of power Mysterio was actually going to have. And... And it turns out that he's not magic and he's not yeah. from another dimension. It's all tech. He's I, using I, tech. I, I got to admit, I was curious about going into that too, because mm-hmm. I mean, the MCU has uh, Stephen Strange in it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is a magic of a type. They they explain it away in the first Doctor Strange movie as, as right. being just uh, tapping into alternate realities and quantum uh, fluctuations and all that. But it's, I expected Mysterio in this one to be of the same kin mm-hmm. uh, and was not prepared for the reveal in this one to be not only technology, but technology we had seen in the MCU. Right. It was all it was all Stark tech, basically. Yeah. And that had been that had been demonstrated to us in the movies. Right. That's the part that I loved. <laughs> yeah, it was um, pretty Im- impressive how these ex-Stark employees uh, took their brains and uh, came against Stark in a very... Uh, they basically were the brains behind a lot of the Stark tech. Because yeah. obviously Tony Stark couldn't have been the brains behind everything. He had people working for him who came up with ideas. And like any big corporation, they stole the ideas of their employees and then fired the employees and made the money <laughs> and that creates that's, disgruntled employees and <laughs> that's very communist of you <laughs> but that's the basic premise behind mysterio and it yeah. and it worked and it was a surprise because it wasn't something anybody would have anticipated going into the movie and so yeah it was really great yeah it was it was very well done so i did have two dislikes And both, you know, in the grand scheme of things are really minor. The first is that, uh, you know, a big part of the 
the plot, the, the, the subplot is that everybody's pushing Peter to, to step up and, and fill Tony's shoes. And I, I felt like they were a little heavy handed with that. Uh, and I only hesitate to mention it because I don't know how they could have done it better. Well, I, I think it was intentional. I don't, you, think I think it, it, you think they meant to be that heavy-handed throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the yes, movie? Yes, I think it was completely intentional, and because it, it will go into our next discussion. So the other thing was uh, the villain was a little bit over the top on the vanity in just a couple, a couple one scene specifically that sort of bugged me was the whole. Do you still need the cape? You know, getting ready for the the last big fight, uh, Quentin Beck is uh, has somebody specifically steaming his cape so he'll be ready to meet with Queen Elizabeth. And I felt like that was uh, over the top isn't quite the right word. But no, I think what that was is they had the one conspirator who that was the only thing she could contribute. And so they wardrobe. were. <laughs> yeah, wardrobe. And and they were treating it really like it was a a play they were putting on. I mean, they had rehearsals yeah. and and so she was the costume lady and so she was in charge of costume and when they had to change their plans, you know, she's like, "Uh, do you still need this?" and yeah. so it, yeah, it added humor. It was it added humor and it kind of kept that whole this is a staged production thing going on, but I, I think it there was a purpose for it. But I could see why it it seemed to interrupt, you know, yeah. the big moment. So I can see your point there. And like I said, in the grand scheme of things, both very minor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, your first dislike was about, you know, Peter filling Tony's shoes. And, yeah. and I, I really do feel like that was intentional because there is an actual, a, a bunch of parallels between this movie and Iron mm-hmm. Man. And I think that... They were trying to keep in your mind, you know, this is Spider-Man becoming Iron Man. This is Peter becoming Tony. And they kept throwing it at you because they wanted you to notice the parallels. And it's interesting because all the way up through the teasers, I mean, it's, it's through the whole movie. Because if those of you have seen Iron Man, I'm assuming everybody has. The general gist of Iron Man is that he's this playboy kid who... He inherits his dad's company. He's in it just to make the money. Uh, he's just in it for the thrills. He's not taking any responsibility. And and then he gets uh, faces off with a villain, kind of forced to wake up. And then when he returns, his dad's business partner is his mentor. He puts his trust in him. He turns into a bad guy. And, and it's over this piece of tech that, that he dreamed up to you know, keep himself alive, basically, the the arc reactor. And all of this happens so that he can then have this knockdown drag out fight with his mentor turned nemesis. And, And in the final scenes of the movie, he actually admits to the whole world that he is Iron Man, even though S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to convince him not to reveal his identity. So... All of those are paralleled in the Spider-Man movie because Peter's wanting to just play. He doesn't want to take... He's done with responsibility. He's come back from the snap and he wants to just go on vacation and leave it all behind him. Yeah. And and so he's mirrored by that attitude and then he's forced by circumstances to step up and take responsibility. 
And then uh, he has a mentor that he puts his trust in who turns out to be a bad guy and his trust is just is betrayed. And it's over a piece of technology. And this movie is instead of the arc reactor, it is my favorite, the Edith device, which Edith. <laughs> is, stands for even dead. I'm the hero. I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and that is a very Tony Stark thing to do. Yes. Too. And then at the very end of the movie, spoiler, spoiler, he finds out that his identity of Spider-Man has been revealed to the whole world. So, yeah. Oh, if you did not stay to see the final scene where Spider-Man's identity is outed by J. Jonah Jameson, shame on you. <laughs> this is a Marvel movie, folks. <laughs> yes. There's another scene uh, in the movie where he Happy kind of comes to the rescue and he's in, uh, I, I'm assuming it's Tony Stark's private jet. And yeah. there's this scene where he's like, I don't have a seat. And Happy says, well, you take care of the suit. I'll take care of the music. And he's got this entire system right there in the jet where he can make a new seat. And he's gets into it. He And he's designing it just like Tony would do with his computer. And so yeah. th there is this like where Peter has become Tony. It's like this. Yeah, exactly. Even down to the music, because whenever Tony did his, you know, computer montages, he was always listening to some kind of metal music. Yeah. And so it, it was just this, you know, this transformation of Peter into Tony. And, and then there was a really telling line in there. Uh, Happy was the one that it was actually during the scene. He says, where Peter's like, I, I don't feel like I can step into Tony's shoes. And, and Happy's like, well, nobody can live up to Tony, not even Tony. Yeah. So it's that whole idea that Tony had become more than he was as a person, that he stressed and he was messed up. And, and, and I think that was the reason why I liked Iron Man 3 so much was because mm -hmm. it showed the humanity that, I mean, Tony was just a guy. And yeah. he was just a really smart guy, and and he made it all work. And there is this, you know, this terrific parallel. And so I think that's why there was all of the stuff going on, you know, of where it seemed really heavy handed, where Peter was being constantly uh, compared yeah. to Tony. You know, I I hope that they uh, draw on this parallelism. By pointing out the differences, uh, I really got the chills as far as Happy becoming much more of a father figure to Peter in this movie, uh, mm -hmm. being being a counselor and uh, being a, a shoulder to cry on or a, a shoulder to stitch up in this case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Peter has a loving mother in his Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Who, who even goes so far to to stuff the Spider-Man suit in his luggage after he intentionally left it home? Yes, and I, I'm hoping that they focus on, and this is probably a, a hope in vain, but I'm hoping that they focus on how those two differences—Peter having uh, caring parental uh, type figures. Mm -hmm help him become a better man than Tony Stark started out as, at least. Well, you know, it's interesting because this Spider-Man, we haven't seen, you know, that crucial uncle dying scene. Yeah. And I would hate for Happy to become that parental figure who gets killed. No kidding, man. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> but they're kind of setting that up because there is this romance going on between ha Happy and May, so... 
hopefully that doesn't happen. They've mentioned Uncle Ben, haven't they? Yeah, he's been mentioned. I mean, she's obviously a widow, so it's in the past. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It's, I'll have to go back and rewatch the first movie now. I don't remember if they talked about the timeline of when Peter got his powers and when Uncle Ben died and how those interacted. Right. Because, you know, in the generic uh, common storyline, Peter gets his powers and uh, the guy who would eventually shoot and kill Uncle Ben gets away because Peter doesn't want to get involved. So I, I'm hoping that they they take those differences and use it to make Peter a uh, better person and better all-round person specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is a storyline in the comics where Peter Parker becomes very successful head of his own tech company. And there's also a storyline where his secret identity is revealed and he ends up getting help from Doctor Strange. I'm curious if they're going to go that way with it. Well, Doctor Strange gets another movie, so we'll see where, yeah. where they go with it that. It is possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, the you know, the interesting thing about it is that Peter has always been, Peter Parker in the comics have always been as, as much of a genius as yeah. Tony Stark. So from a mental genius capacity, he is the natural inheritor of, of what Stark had. And I'm not as much of a comic book reader as, as some people are. So I don't know whether that has ever actually been dealt with in the comics as Peter being Iron Man's heir. But um, mm. it makes sense because he has the same kind of genius. I mean, he yeah. can pick up where Tony left off. But there, there is an heir to the Iron Man throne in comic books, but it's not Peter. Yeah. It's a teenager from MIT. Mm. Uh, Ricky Williams, I think is her name. I'm hoping they bring her into the MCU because she'd be an incredible character. Yeah. Well, we we don't know what the future holds. They only have one movie scheduled for next year. So it'll be. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a um, origin story for Black Widow, who's now dead. So who knows what they're going <laughs> to do after this? I, I was just thinking while we were make, having this uh, discussion, there is some massive parallels between this and the first Incredibles movie. If you think about huh. it. Because the villain in the original Incredibles movie, the first one, oh, Syndrome. Was, was Syndrome, who was wanting to be a superhero, and he was using tech to create the world in which, you know, where he could be the superhero, and he was mm-hmm. using tech to make himself a superhero. And then Completely he, without the moral compass. Right, yeah, completely without the moral compass. And then he he was manufacturing you know, a way to take down his competition so that he could be the superhero, which is exactly what happens in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That, I didn't even think of that. That's, that's I was just when we were having our discussion, it suddenly popped into my mind that the, there was some pretty strong parallels there. Yeah. Syndrome slash Quentin Beck. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, obviously, since we've already talked about the deception going on uh, for Mysterio, uh, Mr. Beck, uh, who comes forward with this terrific story and everybody believes it for some reason, because it yeah. wasn't like something really weird didn't just already happen on the global, you know, universal scale where half the population vanished and people are coming back a little bit more suspicious, but at the same time, a lot more gullible. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, it, New York had already been been invaded by aliens through uh, at a rift in time and space. You'd think that they would be uh, a little open to a concocted yeah. story. 
So the elementals are a, a concocted illusion uh, to create a stage for which Mysterio to appear and take over the power of the reins from the Avengers. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because it, it sounds like from the monologue that we discussed earlier that a lot of this had come about with the idea that they would gain control of the system that Tony had left in Peter's hands. Uh, that Edith, yeah, that yeah. was that basically gave Peter the control over all of the Stark satellites and uh, mm-hmm. spy networks and uh, defensive weaponry around the planet. So it's very big power. I mean, yeah. you could basically target any person in the world and have this drone <laughs> come down and kill them. In- including a kid on the school bus with you. Uh, yes, exactly. Which is a little strange that you would hand that uh, to a teenager without a manual. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the first Tom Holland Spider-Man, there was the kill mode thing, but he didn't get access to that. Until he shut off the baby. Yeah, Ned hacked the suit. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, here... Turned off the baby monitor program. (laughs) (laughs) Here it was already enabled, and and it didn't even question... It didn't even question Peter, but Peter had just been through the snap and the fight with Thanos. Yeah. Uh, although, Although all of that... Uh, Edith had to have been developed before all of that. Right. As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, when Tony Stark developed Edith, he could not have had Peter Parker in mind because Peter Parker was gone. And Peter Parker and Tony Stark only uh, were alive at the same time for 10 minutes, if even that. After, you know, this, the reverse of the snap. It was probably in his will or something. Yeah. So it's the technology behind Edith must have been existing. And then he. Yeah. Okay. It's it's just a logic issue that I hadn't thought about before. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because if you think back to, I mean, it amazes me how much they flesh the stories out for the MCU. Because if you think back, one of the comments that Tony made in Endgame right after they rescued him was that he he had been the one who had wanted to create a a shield, uh, an armored shield around the planet. and. Edith really is his armored shield around the planet. So he used that mm-hmm. five years to go ahead and create what he think thought the world should have. And that's what Edith is to some extent. And they, I mean, yeah. obviously she was misused in this movie because Peter gives her to Mysterio, but that's part of the deception because there's so much deception going on in this movie. It, it becomes, I would say probably the largest theme in this movie is that of deception. Yeah. And there were some really telling quotes and I'm just, you know, obviously because it's movie, we can't share you the actual audio from the movie. So we have to read these quotes. That's makes mm. it no fun. One of the biggest ones was uh, from Mysterio. Uh, this was when he was having his conversation with Spider-Man when he was trying to kill Spider-Man. Easy to fool people when they are already fooling themselves. And and he said something else that was very similar later on. He says, people need to believe. And nowadays they'll believe anything. Right, right. I think that's a real commentary on real society, not just the society that's in this movie, the MCU society, but our real society. It's like we we are steeped in a culture that tells us what we want to hear. And mm-hmm. it's it's that itching ears that you hear talked about in scripture. You know, it's like that that you you listen to the things that you want to hear. You allow your uh, belief systems to dictate what you know. 
And there's there's good in that and there's bad in that. And I think that this movie really presents some of the bad in that because people are yeah. so willing to uh, trust somebody who steps forward and says, I've got a fix for this problem and not look behind the curtain to see whether they're the one that's <laughs> actually causing the problem to begin with. But that is, you know, this this whole idea of this movie it's amazing how much it's reflecting our current culture in fact there's a, a line that peter says to mj and when mj reveals that she knows that he's spider-man i can't even remember now what the lead up to this line was but he says that's what it says on the news and the news doesn't lie yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that, that it was he was he was saying that was night monkey yeah. That's what it said on the news. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and there was another one that was, you know, the MJ says to her classmates, you know, you, you go ahead and believe everything they you read on the internet, you know. Yeah. That is our mentality now is like that we we're so quick to jump on, you know, our list of facts that that support what we want people to believe. And mm -hmm. it's a a mentality that is leaves us open to a lot of deception. A lot of being conned masterfully conned because a Mysterio, uh, Mr. Beck, um, however you want to refer to him, he was a master con man. I mean, he had this whole thing set up and right down to the script. I mean, he had somebody writing the script for him. And it, it's just this masterful production. And he cons everybody because they want to believe that there is somebody powerful out there who's going to step in and save the day. Yeah. That's you know I I really liked how they uh, how they they played the deception on multiple levels and mm -hmm. and some levels that hit very close to home. Uh, uh, <clears throat> you have a, a couple quotes in here from the character of MJ played by uh, how do you say her name Zendana I think Zendaya or something like that. yeah Zendaya who by the way is it, I've been really impressed with her acting even mm -hmm. though. Uh, the fact that she goes by only one name takes her down a couple notches in my <laughs> mind. Because <laughs> I'm old-fashioned, darn it. They show how, you know, she is – her entire attitude of this this loner, not neo-goth uh, personality is all just to deceive other people into letting her alone. Mm-hmm. You know, she's at one point she says uh, something along the lines of "I'm I'm not very good with people, so I lied," mm -hmm. and I feel like that's something that that not only do we all do growing up, that we all do at some level when we're adolescents and uh, learning to become responsible adults, but many of us still do it on multiple levels as we become adults and interact with others in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like that helped sell the whole, you know, the master deception of Mysterio and his crew by tying the deception to us on a personal level. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because she's even the one that says, you know, that I'm obsessed with telling people the truth, even when it hurts their feelings. And she does tell the truth. I mean, she's one of those people who's, who's just like the voice of of stark reason in every conversation mm -hmm. but she does it with such a snide you know contempt for everybody else it, it's part of her character 
Yeah. And and it's a very teenager thing to do, too. Yeah, yeah. But that, like you said, it, it, she, at the same time, she admits to Peter that she lied because she's not good with people. So it's it's one of those situations where she doesn't know what the correct, when she doesn't know what the correct answer is for herself, then she lies. It's, but she's, It's an she, armor for her, really. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this final deception that's, if you didn't wait all the way to the end of the credits, mm-hmm. there is a final deception in this movie that you don't know about. Because it turns out that Nick Fury is actually not in this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> he's not in the movie till the very last scene. Scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that our scroll from Captain Marvel, our our uh, guy who kind of befriends Captain Marvel in the Captain Marvel movie, is actually a shapeshifter who is uh, showing up as Nick Fury in this movie through the whole movie. Impersonating, impersonating Fury and yeah. and his uh, his right hand uh, woman, yeah, woman is impersonating Maria Hill, yeah. So and you know it's been what it's thirty years since Captain Marvel, right? Uh, in the timeline wise, yeah, yeah, it would be nineteen and and Captain Marvel was eighty, no ninety ninety two, right? Yeah. So uh, twenty five years, thirty years. 27 well, maybe the, years. Well, the, you know, space travel, you got to add that into there. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, but I mean, the fact that Talos and his fellow scroll are still working with, with Nick Fury at this point. Yeah. I thought was a, an interesting reveal that will probably play into the next Captain Marvel. Well, movie. they obviously were brought back into it when, you know, because Captain Marvel came back for Endgame. So they've been yeah. reintroduced to the world and maybe they're on another min- mission that follows in game and we'll find out about that later because obviously they're on a ship there at the end nick fury is so who knows mm-hmm. what what they're up to but it's it's a deception that is you know kind of catches you by surprise that uh, all this time that you think nick fury is on peter's case it's really talos yeah. and you know it is so funny because he's talos is like well we did help the kid you know he can't you know <laughs> it's like we we delivered the we delivered the thing and and you know we helped it may have helped the kid a little bit and <laughs> but it made me wonder you know because that line where Happy calls them to try and warn them that Mysterio isn't what he appears to be yeah whether maybe you know if you go back and when I I've seen the movie twice so when I got to that line the second time I was like I wonder if Talos is thinking oh no they're on to us. <laughs> 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 the whole appearances may be deceiving kind of thing. But yeah, it's the deception is laced all through this movie. It's all about deception. And yep. the interesting thing about that is that deception is plays a big part in uh, a lot of the warnings that are written in the go- the gospels and the epistles to us as Christians. And it, you know, it kind of surprised me when I I knew they were in there because I've memorized second Peter, so the entire chapter two of second Peter is all about false teachers and how they lead people astray and what they look like and what their motivations are. And all of this is just a terrifically dark chapter in the Bible to read because you, you can track it. You can actually see what's going on. 
specifically the first three verses of that chapter are, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves with swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." And then in Second Corinthians eleven two through five it says, "But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough." So there's mm. all of this warning about uh, being lost to the deception of the world how easy it is for how, us to yeah. allow ourselves to be deceived because we want to be cuz that's you know that's the whole point of of what uh Beck is saying is you know that people believe what they want to believe you know mm-hmm. is they're they're ready to be led astray they are waiting for somebody to tickle their ears and lead them in the direction they want to go and we don't as Christians want to be that way but at the same time we are that way. There's so much heresy in the Western church right now. It just breaks my heart how many people are led astray by the prosperity gospel. You know, you know, having a a, a man in a nice suit and a you has this big church, mega church, and he tells you that if you just pray hard enough, God will give you your all your desires. He'll make you healthy and he'll make you rich and you know, you'll have want for nothing and all it takes is the right kind of prayers. And and there are people in the thousands and the millions falling for that in the Western church. And it just yeah. saddens me that we allow our ears to be tickled and to go the wrong way. It's, you know, the only the only real way that we can deal with it, uh, it to prevent it is to to keep our minds focused on the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to keep our eyes towards God and and uh, and keep walking the the narrow path. Uh, while you were talking, I, I thought of First John four uh, four four is it no four one four one. Uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have come out into the world. But that's really that is our primary instruction on every deception that we're going to come across. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to look at. Every fact, every presentation, we have to be prepared to compare it to what we know of God's will as presented in Scripture. Mm-hmm. In Second Thessalonians two, and I, this is kind of a long passage, but it, I, I really like, I don't really dislike pulling a single verse out. I like to see things in context, and this is the context of. I'm going for verse fifteen, but I want to read the context of it, the verses that come before. So, starting in verse nine. Says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so, and so be saved. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all 
may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the target voice. This is verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So this is, you say, test the spirit. This is how we test the spirit. We compare it to scripture. So we always go back to the gospel and the, the epistles, the scripture that was given to us by God, his love letter to us. That's how we test the spirits. If it goes outside of scripture, if it tells you something that is not in scripture, and you have to play the context game. I mean, that's what I just did. You can't mm. just take a verse out and go, it means this. You have to always look at verses within their full context because sometimes the context changes the meaning. So it, we have to be in the scripture. We have to know what the scripture says. I, I prefer to just cherry pick. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it, it goes back to hopefully those of you who will end up with a copy of my book, my first chapter in my book is all on counterfeit realities because that's what we entertain ourselves with all the time is counterfeit realities. And to know a counterfeit, you have to know the real thing. That's the only way you can tell a counterfeit. So testing the spirits through knowledge of scripture and always taking it back to scripture. So there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, one of the things that I thought to segue into the second theme that, that I wanted to discuss was um, because Nick Fury was counterfeit, I felt before the reveal at the end that it wasn't actually Nick Fury, but Talos uh, masquerading as Fury, I I really felt like they were being completely unfair, harsh even with mm-hmm. Peter. Uh, yeah. on forcing this responsibility on him. Well, and at the same time, they just rake him over the coals. I mean, like half the yeah. things they say to him are like, you're not good enough. You're not uh, You're not living up to this. And, and he is just like every other thing that Nick Fury says to him is like bashing his self-confidence. It's kind of sad. I actually remember thinking at one point, boy, it, it, this doesn't seem like Fury. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Fury is the guy who uh, took the the bloody uh, Captain America cards and threw them on the table mm-hmm. to give the pep talk to the Avengers in mm-hmm. the in the first Avengers movie. But that wasn't the Fury from Far From Home, and uh, you know, of course, we found out why wasn't, wasn't Fury. Yeah, but that whole thing of how hard they were being on on Peter really got me thinking that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And yes, Peter is a much more mature hero post-snap than he was, you know, at the beginning of the original Spider-Man Well, film. his perspective on life has completely changed. I mean, he's, yeah. he, he's like ready to put the whole heroing thing behind him for a little while and chase the girl. You know? <laughs> and, and he really does need a vacation. Holy yeah. moly. I yeah. mean, he's been through a lot. That got me thinking about how much of a disservice it is to Peter to force this kind of responsibility on him. And it's sort of the antithesis of the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the whole theme behind that mantra of the Spider-Man universe is that you got to step up. But 
Peter, Tom Holland specifically, plays Peter so well as a maturing young man in high school mm-hmm. uh, that you really feel like he's not ready. He's yeah. going to get there. You you know he's going to get there. Right. But he's not ready yet. Yeah. And stop pushing him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just – he wants to enact his plan, win the girl, and be a teenager for a, for a, a trip. And you see that from the very beginning when he says, no, I'm leaving my Spider-Man suit at, at home. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the the primary sub-theme – was uh, maturity levels because it, it comes up a number of times. Not only do we see it with Peter's desire to uh, to be a young man in love, but we see it even in the villain m- montage where Quentin Beck, they never actually say what his real name is, do they? Because Quentin Beck is a made-up name. Yeah, I don't know. Other, I don't recall yeah. them saying it. It's not in IMDb, so... And therefore, I mean... You have yeah, to believe exactly. what you read on IMDb. <laughs> if it's on IMDb, it must be true. <laughs> Even, you know, during his monologue of why we're doing all this, they call Tony a, a man child mm-hmm. and uh, they call uh, Peter a, a horny teenager, uh, both pointing to immaturity as a reason that they don't deserve the power that they want. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when, of course, the fact is that this collection of, of bad guys, they don't deserve it either because they're completely lacking in the in the moral fortitude to do anything with it. And maturity. I mean, think about it. They're they're like kids on the playground who didn't get their way. Yeah. You they, know? They want to take the ball, take somebody else's ball and go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it got me thinking about the importance that that the Bible puts on not only raising kids, uh, raising children, and uh, leading them in in the way they should go, but on the importance of the child being the child. We're forcing our kids to grow up way, way too fast these yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like we're we're letting. I mean, we've got politicians out there saying that high school kids should be allowed to vote. I mean, these these are kids that that can't even make the wise decision to come in out of the rain. I mean, half the time, their hormones are controlling everything they think about, and they haven't had a chance to grow up yet. So, and the same politicians, unfortunately, I'm not going to say names, are calling for you know these really really young kids to be able to choose a gender, you know, before uh. they're even before they're even mature enough to even understand what gender is. I mean, yeah. it's sad that we live in a society that is expecting our kids to grow up too fast. You know, it, I, it's, I can't believe I I had forgotten to put this scripture, which was the uh, the the scripture I was thinking of when I considered this theme altogether. Um, <laughs> when Christ was, was talking about the importance of approaching like a child, of being childlike in wonder and in trust. Which, you know, is sort of the, the opposite of the whole deception line. Uh, true, Matthew eighteen three. truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the, the kingdom of heaven. But the Bible lays out that children need to mature and be led in that maturity, but they shouldn't be forced. Mm-hmm. At First Corinthians thirteen eleven. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put a child aside my childish things. It's 
you know, it, it shows it's okay to be a child when you're a child. And mm-hmm. it's important to be a child when you're a child. But it's also important to be a man when you are a man. But Peter isn't to that man point yet. And, you know, I, I was insulted on Peter's behalf <laughs> by the treatment yeah. that he was getting. Right. It's because it, he really was increasing in wisdom and stature, like in Luke 2.52. Jesus increased mm-hmm. in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and, and with people. So even even Jesus had to mature and grow in wisdom. Mm-hmm. So it's something that we should be expecting everyone to do. But the children in Ephesians 4.14 it says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around like everyone by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Yeah. And to be honest, that's, you know, tying back to the previous theme discussion yeah. is that's why he was so able to be conned by Beck was mm-hmm. because he was still a young man who was seeking mentors. There was that scene where uh, Beck really played on him by coming over and being, you know, the, the shoulder to cry on, where he says, I just wanted to have a summer vacation, and I'm yeah. so good to have someone to talk to about superhero things. And and he's seeking counsel because he's not old enough to have the maturity to make those kind of decisions without somebody to give him good counsel. Mm-hmm. And that is where... Uh, and. And, you know, you can tie that even into Christian, you know, Christians with the whole deceit thing we were talking about earlier, is that Christians go through a period of a mature, maturing process as believers. I mean, we start out as baby Christians. Doesn't matter your age of becoming right. a Christian. When you start out as a Christian, you are a baby Christian, and you are so new to the concept of God that you can be led astray by the wrong deceits. And so... That's where that Ephesians 4.14 comes in is that as young children, as Christians, not as age, you know, but as our maturity level as Christians, you know, as baby Christians, we can get tossed and torn torn apart by uh, crazy winds of doctrine. And, yeah. you know, I'd meant, I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, I kept talking about itching ears. I'm going to throw that scripture in. It's from 2 Timothy 4.3. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 2 Timothy 4.3. So this is is the culture that we are in as Christians. It's not just not expecting our, our children to grow up too fast, but taking into account the spiritual immaturity of believers in our community of believers that they need to be mentored and discipled and brought along into mature faith. You can't just give them the gospel and then expect them to run with it. They need training. So our final topic, and this is hopefully going to be uh, brief (laughs) because we're already going kind of long on this, but, and this kind of ties into the, the spiritual maturity, immaturity, and, and the deception is that one of the things you really see, especially at the beginning of this movie, is that the p- public want yeah. the Avengers. And uh, what the very first scene in the movie, there is kind of like this made-up tribute video from the school that Peter's a part of. And the, what do you call them, the anchors of this little like school TV oh, show? Yeah. The guy says, what if aliens come back? Are the Avengers a thing anymore? Does anyone have a plan? And which... 
gives you a transition into the next scene with Peter. But it's interesting because then just a few minutes later, you see uh, Peter talking to reporters at this the ben- the, function yeah, the charity that May is, yeah, the charity event that May is doing, and everybody's asking him, "Are you the head of Inger now? What's it t- like to take over for Tony Stark?" And those are big shoes to fill. So th- you really get the feeling that the world is wanting yeah. the Avengers back. And this idea of seeking somebody of power that will take away, that you can depend on, that will be there to save you. And I just wanted to use that as kind of a reminder uh, to our listeners, you know, that we are to be sharing the gospel. We are, we have the answer to people's problems. And it is a savior who loves us, who died on the cross for us, who died and rose again to prove his victory over death and sin and has ascended to heaven to live on the right hand of God and to make intercession for us so that we may be presented before God as a perfect man in his in his likeness that our sin does not count against us because of what he did on the cross for us and we have to accept that gift of salvation and trust on him and make him lord of our life so that we can you know conquer the biggest horrific thing that there is in the most inevitable and that is death and so i wanted to tie that in simply because that's everything that always comes out of these superhero movie movies there's that people are looking for a deliverer yeah. a savior somebody to rescue them if i could tie that real quick back to the whole sokovia mm-hmm. accords they went through this phase where they had their savior and they, and they didn't, didn't want like them. it. Yeah. It's, yeah. oh, this is bad. And now they're back to realizing what they, they were missing. So mm-hmm. people will never be satisfied uh, until they find the true savior. Right. Uh, they, they, they just have to open their eyes or have their eyes opened more accurately. Right. And, and that is, I mean, we've really been going through this real push at my church to be evangelists in our community to go and knock on doors and talk to people. And uh, it's really taken me outside my comfort zone because while I do a podcast, I'm safe behind (laughs) the microphone, you know, microphone, you know, and I'm talking to a faceless uh, face or truly faceless population out there who are hopefully listening, but I'm not getting this one-on-one feedback. Mm. When you knock on somebody's door, there's something very vulnerable about that. You know, expecting somebody to come, you don't know who's going to answer the door and what they're going to believe and how they're going to accept what you have to say. And it's something that we are called to do as Christians. The Great Commission is all about going out and making disciples of the world. I mean, we're not supposed to be keeping this good news to ourselves. We're supposed to be spreading it. And some people do it easier than others, but that is our that is what, as Christians, we are supposed yeah. to be doing. And so this is what they need. They may not necessarily know they need it, but everybody needs Christ. Yeah. And we should be taking the opportunities to share him. And when they reject us, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him. Not really much I can add to that. It's it's pretty on point. Yeah. I imagine there's a lot more things we could say about this movie. And if we had done it as a DVD, we could have dug a little deeper. But that's all we have from initial viewings at the movie theater. It's probably enough. Might be interesting to revisit this one when it comes out Mm -hmm. on on, uh, Digital DVD. Yeah, I I definitely want 
Oh, well, I won't say definitely. There's a very good chance that I will buy this one. I don't have all of the MCU movies, but I really like this one. And, you know, we we did get a little bit of feedback on our uh, Facebook group. If you haven't joined our Facebook group, you can join it by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. And that will take you to our Facebook group, which you can join. We'll let you in, promise. <laughs> and we have started uh, warning uh, people when we are about to record to give them an opportunity to chime in. And so uh, we had uh, three of our listeners, uh, Marilyn Coffey, Craig Hardy, and Andrew Miller, all chiming in to say that they really liked the movie. Craig Hardy said he was glad they kept Mysterio's origin pretty yeah. accurate. So that was that was kind of cool. And uh, Andrew Miller said that he saw it in IMAX. And it was a wild <laughs> ride. I can't imagine. And that the... <laughs> Yeah, and that the mid and end credit scenes are mind blowing, which yes, we already talked about those. They really were mind blowing. So yeah, thank you so much for chiming in. And we if uh, you join our Facebook community, hopefully in the future, we will give you heads up when we're recording so that you can also give us your take on the movies. So you can also comment on our show notes, the show notes for this episode are, are you just watching dot com slash 94. Yeah. We are at 94. That's six more episodes and we will hit our 100th episode. Yay. Oh. Which if we stay on track, we'll be in January. Yeah. yeah. It'll be the first uh, the first episode of 2020. Yep. No, that'll work out really 100 well. 100 2020. Sounds like a rap song. You, wanna- <laughs> you can call us at 513-818-2959 and leave us a voicemail. We did get a voicemail uh, oh. since our last episode. Oh, I didn't see it. Uh, it was uh, basically just telling us, putting us on to a author who puts out science fiction who happens to be a Christian. So uh, at least it wasn't somebody offering to pay off our student loans. <laughs> yeah, um, it was interesting. I, I checked out the the website. We don't do a ton of stuff on written stuff. Yeah. So maybe someday this guy will have a movie that we can review. Um <laughs> We remind you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And we are also on Spotify, which is the new, is becoming one of the new podcast uh, distributors. It is really easy to join and, and subscribe. So if you want to follow us through Spotify instead of Apple Podcasts, that would be wonderful to do. And you can also follow both Tim and I on Twitter. I'm at Eve Franklin. And I'm at Rinchetple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And that will wrap this episode. We thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.